If you've got a Bible, could you please turn to Joshua chapter 21? Joshua chapter 21, we will be going there. Does anyone remember the sermon series on Joshua? (laughs) We started it in September, so almost a year ago, and we've been going through it, but with Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day, um, and we did the services we just finished on for our halfway through the year reviewing where we are. It's been, it's taken a little bit longer than maybe I'd anticipated, but we are going to finish it. From here till the end of August, it's Joshua and then we are done. Okay, I'm just telling you now, that is the plan, that's what's going to happen. And today we've got to Joshua 21. Um, so if you've missed any, you can go back on the website, the sermon's there, review it, catch up. Have a reread of Joshua just to remind yourself where, it, where we are. But before we get into that, let me, um, I want to talk about one of my favorite people in the world here. This is my eldest son, Levi. I don't know when that photo was taken, but I just love it, so I'm using that as an illustration. Now, when you become a parent, when one becomes a parent, there are many things that go through your mind in that process, when Mel and I were looking to have children and Mel and got pregnant, it was, you know, lots of things flashing in mind. But one of the greatest responsibilities that dawned on me as a parent was naming the unborn child. You know, what are we going to call it, him or her? We didn't know which one it was, we didn't find out, so we had a kind of, a, it was one of those... Which one is it going to be? And so we had to do, go through names, and we had a girl's name that we settled on very quickly, and then we had boys' names that we rolled through and rolled through. Well, what are we going to call him this? What are we call him that? I always had the funny names, which apparently aren't that funny. Um, the hundredth time you say, I think we should call him this. You know, I had one of my options was Steel. Steel Crane. I thought that sounded awesome, didn't it? That sounds like a man. Melanie gave me the flat look. I liked Striker as well with a Y. Striker Crane, that sounds like he should be. But they, got, they all got vetoed. And then when, in, in the, when it was like the final few weeks to go, it was suddenly, I had that face that says, you need to be serious now. And we need to think about a name. So we, and we settled on the name Levi. We wanted to call him Levi. We loved the name. And um, I just want to tell you why we settled on that name for him. There's a couple of reasons. The first one is the story in Mark chapter 2. I don't know if you're familiar with it. There was a man, his name was Levi, and he was a tax collector. And he was sitting at his booth and consumed in the things of the world. He was wealthy, he, was, he had money, he was taking money from people. And Jesus went past. And what did Jesus say to him? Simply, he said, come, follow me. And the story is, Levi did that. He got up, he left Everything, and he followed Jesus, became one of Jesus' disciples, a follower of Jesus. And we just love that story of a man who would be willing to leave everything the world has to offer him and go and follow Jesus. And we we love that, and we thought there's something in there, there's something prophetic about our son, that he'd be a man willing to do that. The second thing, reason we did it, was because of the tribe of Levi in the Bible. In the Old Testament, one of the sons of Jacob was called Levi, as the, the, the history of the people of Israel, which we'll get to, comes up, um, they have the tribe of Levi, and they were the people set apart for God. That's actually what the, the name uh, Levi mean, means. It means attached, connected to. You're set apart for one, but you're connected 
to God. And we just love that image that we would have a son. He was our firstborn. We didn't know if we'd have any more. God bless us with that. But we wanted someone who was set apart for God. So we really felt on that. And I guess the third reason was we really liked the jeans company. So we kind of, we went with that and think, well, you can't go wrong with that, can you? So there are reasons. So we, we have a son named Levi. He is now eight years old. And if you've met him, he is a bundle of energy. And we just adore him. And what we're going to be looking at today is a lot about Levi. We're going to be looking at the tribe of Levi in the story of Joshua and how God dealt with them as the people of Israel took the land. So if you've been following us along uh, in the story of Joshua, let me just kind of remind you of where we're up to. The first five chapters of the book of Joshua, which we've gone through, are, are known as the preparation phase. It's where the people of God were getting ready to go into the land God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. So he'd promised to Abraham, he said, you're going to have this land, your descendants. And at the time, it was just Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he couldn't have any kids but God had blessed them. He'd produce a son, Isaac. He'd produce a son, Jacob, who had 12 sons. They'd gone down into Egypt. They had grown into a great mighty nation, the 12 tribes of Israel. God had brought them out of Egypt under Moses. And then they were now moving to take that inheritance that God had promised way back in Abraham. So you have the first five books of Joshua is this preparation stage. You see the spies go out into the land. They check the land out. The land is amazing. They say, we can take this. God is with them. Uh, they have Rahab. That she was a foreigner. She was a pagan. She was outside the people of God, but she showed faith in, God's, in the God of Israel and became part of God's people, and she helped them. They crossed the River Jordan, a massive event, because they're now entering that land. God had promised them physically getting in the land. They renew the covenant there, and then they are now ready to take the land. In chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, we have kind of what we call the warfare stage, where they take the land as God had asked them to do. And we have the great story of Jericho, famous one, walls come down. We have the sad bit after with Achan's sin, which caused them to lose a battle, how they dealt with the sin, and then, we, then they went and won a bunch of battles. And you have the northern and southern campaign kind of wrapped up at the end. And finally, there is a kind of an ending to that. They have taken the land. And there was like a rest from war, it says. And then chapters 13 up to 20 that we've looked at, and also include 21, is what's known as the inheritance part of the book, where the people of God are receiving what God had promised them hundreds of years before. And to our Western eyes, as we read it, it's pretty dull and boring, because it's just a list of places and, and cities and areas of land. It says they gave this to the tribe of Judah and this to the tribe of Ephraim and this to the tribe of Naphtali and Asher and so on and so forth. And it's a bit, ugh. But for the people of God, this was huge. This was finally them getting what God had promised. This showed that God was faithful to them. And what we've got here is the final kind of section of that bit. We're going to look at chapter 21. So we've had all the tribes have got their inheritance. They've all got the land. We looked in chapter 20 at the cities of refuge that were scattered throughout the land where places of mercy and justice. And we looked at that last time where people could go. Um, And what we're going to look at today is the tribe of Levi and their inheritance. So the big idea of today is we are a set apart people with a specific purpose. Now, if you found your Bible, I'm just going to read the first few verses. So can we put the first bit up? These are the first few verses of that chapter. It says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in 
along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel give to the Levites the following cities and the pasture lands out of their inheritance. So what's happening here? Let's just, let's just talk a little bit about the tribe of Levi because they're a little bit different. So every tribe had been given land except Levi. He was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was the third son of Jacob and Leah, so he was connected right in the back of there. And we'll see in just a moment, we'll read the next section, the the Levites are often um, talked about as three clans because Levi had three sons, and their names were Kohath, Gershon, and Meri. So the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Meritites we'll look at in just a moment. So you've got the tribe of Levi with these three clans. And the three clans were responsible... For the care of the tabernacle, which was the big tent they'd carried around the wilderness that God had given uh, to Moses the plans for and they'd built. And the tribe of Levi's job was to look after that tent, to basically care for the presence of God for all the people of Israel. And each clan had a responsibility. So the Kohathites were responsible for the, the furniture within um, the tabernacles of the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstands, the bowls, etc. That was their responsibility. The Gershonites, they took care of the curtains and the coverings of the screen which surrounded the tabernacle, these big thick curtains that they hang, hung on poles to separate the presence of God from the people because they were unclean and God was holy. And in the final group, the Merorites, they were in charge of the structure of the tabernacle, the beams and the, um, the, the poles and the the stands that it all stood on to hold the big tent together. And so that was the the job of the tribes of Levi. And Moses and Aaron are two of the most famous Levites. They were both of that tribe, and they were of the Kohathite clan. That was where they fitted in in it it all. And then to add add to it, Aaron was the first high priest. God appointed him, and so his descendants became what we know as the priesthood. So we have the tribe of Levi... Three clans, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, the Merathites. But within the Kohathites, you have Aaron and his sons, his descendants, were the priesthood. So that means all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Which is why when you read the Good Samaritan, you hear about, first of all came a priest and then came a Levite. They're different, even though they're within the same clan. And so that's... Well, that's about. So that's what they did. And the role of the Levites as a clan was to teach the people of God the law of God, which for them would have been the Torah. The first five books of Bible. That's what they had. That was their job. They were appointed by God. Your job is to be the teachers of Israel. You need to know the law so you then can teach all the other tribes. That's what they had to do. So Levi had a unique role within the people of God. How did they end up like that? It was a bit of a strange way. Some bad, some good. One of the reasons they ended up like that is because of some bad things that Levi himself did. Way back in the book of Genesis, there's a horrible story about a lady named Dinah who was um, Levi's sister. And it says she was raped. And um, the father, Jacob, wasn't doing a particularly good job about it, Levi felt. And so through deceit, he basically cornered all the people who did it and basically murdered them all. It was rather a horrible affair If you read the whole story, I think it's Genesis 34, you'll find all that. And so it was a a terrible thing. And so as a result of that, God cursed Levi and his descendants and says, you will be scattered amongst the tribes. You won't have that inheritance. You will find yourself scattered amongst them, which is what we're seeing here. 
But then if we go forward a bit, a couple hundred years later, we have an instant when the people of God came out of uh, Egypt, they were in the desert, and we have the infamous incident of the golden calf. I don't know if you're aware of that. Moses was up Mount Sinai getting the law from God. The people down at the bottom thought Moses was dead. They weren't very happy with God. They were harking back to Egypt. So they created this golden calf and they worshipped it. An incredible affront to God's holiness, an incredible affront to God's provision for what he had done to them. So when Moses came down the mountain, he was livid with the people of God. He said, God's judgment is going to be on you. And he said to the people of God, whose side are you standing on? Whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on your side? Are you going to be on God's side? And the tribe of Levi came and stood with Moses and said, we are on the Lord's side and we will stand with that. And they were were zealous for God's holiness and God's presence. And as a result, God blessed them and said, actually, you're going to be my people and you're going to be responsible for worship among my, my people, which is why they become responsible for the tabernacle and the presence of God. So God blessed them mightily as a result. And then we also find at the first Passover, just before they left Egypt, God said, um, you've got to kill the lamb, blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and I will pass over. Judgment is coming on, Israel, um, on Egypt. And actually, you have to consecrate the firstborn to me. But instead of consecrating the firstborn of all the peoples of Israel, God said, I will take Levi, the tribe of Levi, as my firstborn as my firstborn, and they will be mine. And actually, what their inheritance would be wouldn't be the land, would actually be the Lord himself. Sounds good to be a Levite sometimes, doesn't it? So their inheritance would be the Lord. So this clan, this group, come, as it says in the passage, they come to Joshua, the leader of the people. They come to Eleazar, who's kind of the spiritual leader there, and they say, give us this land. Give us our inheritance. So all the other tribes have got theirs. We've seen that in chapters 13 all the way up to 19. We went through that in one hit. And they're saying, come and give it to me. And it took place at Shiloh, which was kind of the religious center at the time. It's where the tabernacle would have been, where God's presence was. And they're basically coming in faith, in bold, to say, give us what you promised us. Give us our inheritance. And interestingly, their inheritance was not actually from the land. It was actually from the people. Because all the land had been divided up. All the 12 tribes have received. They're saying, we need our inheritance from you. You need to give our inheritance out of what you've got. So out of all the tribes have received, you need to give us that inheritance. And it says they were obedient to the Lord's command. So let's just read the next section, please. It says this. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. That was this lot. So those Levites who were descended of Aaron, the priests, received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. So that's Aaron's descendants, the priests. Now the rest of the clan of the Kohathites, it says, and the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 10 cities. And it says the Gershonites... The next clan received by Lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, 13 cities. The Merorites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. These cities and their pasture lands the people of Israel gave by Lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. So, What we see there is the people of God had received their inheritance. They had vast tracts of land spread all out all over the place. They'd hold all these cities, there's all this area. Out of that, they then in turn gave to the Levites. And it was decided by Lot 
who would give what, which meant when they, they threw the lots, the idea behind that was actually it was all in God's control. God was the one who was sovereign over all things, so whichever tribe gave to which, um, the Levites, what, which order, etc., which clan got it, it was all decided by God. So we have the distribution there. Each team, uh, each clan got it. And um, it reminds us that this was all in command with what Moses did. Now, if you open your Bible, I'm not going to read it, but I will run us through the next section. Because what that is was a summary. If we go down to verse 9 um, and all the way down to 40, we basically have a more detailed description of what that means. So in the first verses 9 to 19, we have a detailed description of what the priestly um, Kohathites got their, their cities, their area. They were from Judah and Simeon and Benjamin. And this is the area that they got. These are their cities. This was their little bit of land around it. And then it goes on in chapter, verses 20 26 was the Kohathites who weren't the priests. That was their um, inheritance that was detailed. Um, and then the Gershonites, 27 to 33, this is what they got. And then finally you have the Merorites, their inheritance. These are the cities they got. And within that you had um, kind of um, cities of refuge, which we looked at last time, which were scattered around. So no one was too far from a city of refuge where they could run to and find mercy um, and justice in those places. So the Levites were all spread out throughout the land. And then if we go to verses 41 and 42. It's basically just a summary of what happens. It says, The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. So basically, they had done everything that had been commanded by Moses. And what we see through this is that God provided both for the physical and the spiritual needs of his people. So even Levi who didn't have land as such for their own. They got places to live and they got places to graze their cattle, which wouldn't have been big by comparison to some of the other tribes, but they got what they needed. Their, their physical needs were provided for. They had a home and they had kind of a source of income to, to provide for themselves and their family. So God provided for the physical needs of his people. We'd seen how he'd done it with the other tribes. He also did it for Levi in their unique situation. But he also provided for the spiritual needs of his people because the Levites were the teachers of the law. They're the ones who are meant to know God. They're the ones who are meant to represent God to the people and teach the people about it. And they were spread out throughout the nation. They weren't all in one place. Like if you imagine the land and you've got kind of Manasseh over here and then you've got maybe Judah down here with Benjamin underneath and Dan is right in the north and the others are here. They're not in a corner down here saying if you want to find out about God you've got to come all the way down here. No, they were scattered throughout the land and you can see God's wonderful provision for his people that actually they were scattered out. So no one was less than a day's journey from finding out about God. If they want to know about the law, they want to know about something said, they wanted to teach, they wanted to learn, they were less than a day's journey from finding one of their teachers from the tribe of Levi scattered throughout the land. And it was similar to principle to the cities of refuge, which we looked at in the last chapter. There was never more than a day's journey from refuge, but you were never more than a day's journey from teaching about God and finding out about him and being taught about him, which is just a wonderful thing. And then we've, what we find at the end, um, I think this is on the screen actually, you put the last bit up. Um, for me. Here we go. This is the summary of that chapter. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land he swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. 
Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And what we find there is that's not just a summary of this chapter. It's actually a summary from going all the way back to chapter 13. And actually a little bit further, the whole book. One um, author I was reading about this, a commentary, they describe this as the theological heart of the book. If you're one of those people who likes to underline asterisks in your Bible, this is one of those verses that you should look at. You should kind of mark out as special. Because it ends this kind of third major section of the book, and it underlines the fact that what God had promised to his people way back in Genesis, and we're bearing in mind hundreds of years have passed, everything came to pass. What God said had happened, happened. What he promised, he had fulfilled. It was all done. And if you look at it closely, verse 43 summarizes this inheritance section where it says he'd given them all the land to their fathers, just as he'd promised their fathers and they'd settle there. So that sort of summarizes verse, uh, chapters 13 to 21. If you look at verse 44, that summarizes the first half of the book where it says, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he'd sworn their fathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. So actually, all those who had stood opposed to God, and we looked at that through that kind of warfare section, what that meant, but actually not one of them could stand up to God. Not one of them could stand before his plans and purposes. And the people of God had completely prevailed just as God had promised it. Not because they were good or special in any particular way, but because God had said it and God fought for them. And so what God had provided for his people... All his people was a home to live in. Every tribe, every clan within the tribes, every family within that had a home. They had a place to call home, whether it was in a city or in the vast tracts of land that they were given. God had provided a home for his people. He'd also provide them rest. Two huge things. They had a home to live in, but they had rest from their enemies because no one could stand before the God of Israel. No one could stand up to him. He always prevailed. And so it was a wonderful thing. So that is kind of a summary to this sort of section of the book that we've got to, everything that's happened before. And there is an incredible sort of moment there for the people of God. Can you imagine what that has been like? They've been living with things for generations, that God is going to give us a land. Our God is going to do that. They've been in slavery and captivity for hundreds of years in Egypt. They'd broken out under Moses and all the amazing things that God, God had done. They'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of, what, of their sin. But finally, the new generation had come had entered the land. And they had taken the land just as God had promised. They'd been given their inheritance just as God had promised. They had a home just as God had promised. They had rest just as God had promised. And everything God had spoken had come to pass. And it was a wonderful moment in their history. All right, let's look at a few things for us um, on what we can look at and how we can apply this to our lives and then we'll worship to finish. What does this relevance to have for us today? Well, the tribe of Levi and the priest has, has echoes for us as the church today, a couple of thousand years on. Because... If we read in 1 Peter, what do we find? Well, Peter's talking to the church and he says that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. 
a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We now actually fit that role. If you're a believer here, a follower of Jesus, you've become one of the priests of God. You've been brought into that that family, that line of Aaron, that, that great privilege to minister before God. No longer is it restricted to a particular tribe and a particular clan of a tribe, to a particular bloodline within that tribe. And even then it was only the males of a certain age who could become priests. They were so restricted. But actually now it's thrown open to all of us who have faith and trust in Jesus. And so as a result, what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing is we are a people set apart. Just like the tribe of Levi as a whole and the priests within that, we are a people set apart for God. The Bible says we've been called by God. We've been called and chosen. As a result of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross and him opening the way, one of the things that happened when Jesus died, what happened in the temple? The curtain was suddenly torn. It was suddenly flung open. Actually, all can come. All can come and we, become, we get born into this family and we are now set apart for God. We've been adopted. God is now our Father. We looked at that last week. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. How does it begin? Well, it begins our Father in heaven. We can relate to God as Father which was an incredible privilege we have. We have a unique inheritance in Christ because we are in Him. We are righteous and we are holy. We are part of this great people. We have a future and an inheritance in heaven that will never be taken. It says it will never spoil or perish or fade. We've got something to look forward to. We have been completely set apart, which means... If you're not a believer here and you don't know Jesus, I want to say to you, you need to. You need to respond to him yourself. You need to turn away from living life your own way. You need to put your faith and trust in him, in him alone. The Bible calls that repentance. You repent, turn away, and you put your faith and trust in him. I'd love to talk to you about what that means at the end of the meeting. If you want to come and grab me, and there will be others who would love to do that too. But that's what it means. If you want to be part of these people... It means we have to respond to Jesus, respond to what he does. If you are a believer here, what does that mean for you? How do you, we go about living life as a set-apart people? Well, there's a number of things. Number one, you need to be full of the Spirit. When the church was kind of birthed at the book of Acts, Pentecost, what happened? It said the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were full of the Spirit. And then the kind of church was born. Peter preached. Many got saved and so on and so forth. And if we read the kind of the, the, the storyline of Acts, it's men and women again and again being full of the Spirit of God, being prayed for, laid hands on. God sometimes sovereignly just come and meeting with them. And the church growing and multiplying. We go to Ephesians and Paul says to the church there, you need to be full of the Spirit. And continually so. Not just a one-off. We men and women who are constantly praying for one another, praying for ourselves, God, that we'd be full of Him. We need to live lives that are set apart. So we need, secondly, we need to repent of the things that we do that don't show that. We're set apart for holiness. We've been made holy and therefore as a result we choose to live holy. But we all know we get that wrong. We fail, we do things wrong even this week, even today. We've done things that we think, oh my goodness. I'm even thinking of one I did this morning as well. 
I need to talk to my wife about that at the end of the meeting. But I'm just saying, it happens. And I know you look at me and think there's no way. It does. It does. But it's all of us. We have these things. What, what, is, what do you need to deal with now before God to put it right, to recognize who you are, who God's made you to be, that you are this set-apart people? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to put down? What do you need to turn away from? What do you need to throw away from? Thirdly, what do you need to remind yourself of? Sometimes we're just dull. We are dumb and we forget things. And if we're not reminded constantly, it just goes out of our minds. Busyness of life and the pressure of work or um, family and children and church and just stuff runs in. And actually, we're just not there. We're not thinking. What, are you, what do you need to remind yourself of? Do you need to, sit, you need to actually take moments and say, God, I need to remind myself that I am a set-apart person. I am holy and I am righteous. I have a Father in heaven. I have been adopted into a family. I have been forgiven. The Freedom in Christ course we run here has those lists of things they want you to read out. The reason is so you get it into yourself so you don't forget that it comes to mind when the world says alternative or you're tempted to think, oh, that's not who I am. I'm worthless. I'm useless. That's not how God made you. That's not God what it set you, set you apart to be. If that's your thing, go and grab them. Reread them. If you don't know what they are, come on to me. I'll mail you the list. You can have a look at them. Remind yourself, you are a set-apart people. The second thing we are is we're a people provided for. We're a people provided for. God provides for his people. You saw that there. And even for Levi, who was the one who wasn't going to get any land, he still provided. No one was forgotten. No one was left out. They got provided for. They got their homes. They got the land for their cattle to graze in the amongst all the people of God. And we need to be a people who are thankful for that. That ultimately everything we have, whether we think it's a lot or a little, comes from Him. He provides for His people. He provides our homes. He provides our clothes. He provides our food, our transport, our jobs. Any other provision we get, ultimately He is the one giving it. He is the one behind it all. And we need to remember that. He provides for our physical needs in all those areas. He even said, even if you feel like you're lacking in one of those areas, he says, come to me and ask for it. We looked at it last week, Lord's Prayer. What do we say? One of the things, one of the lines we looked at, give us a day our daily bread. That was, uh, we thought that that's our necessities of life. God says, come and ask me for them. Come and ask me, because I'm the one who provides for them. And so we're to do that. We're to be thankful for what we've got. We're to ask God for it. But we're also to recognize that we are often the vehicle God uses to provide for others. If you've got your Bible open, go back to verse 9. Fascinating little story in there, in the months of it all. It says this. This, is the, this was the detailed section. It says, Of the tribe of the people of Judah... And the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron. So they were one of the Kohathite clans, one of the clans of the Kohathites, who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arbar, Arbar being the father of Anak, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasture lands around it, 
But the fields of the city and its villages have been given to Caleb, the son of Junifer. Sorry, Jeff, how have you pronounced that? As his possession. Okay, we had a sermon on Caleb. Does anyone remember that? Matt did it a few weeks back. Caleb was an interesting character. Caleb was a friend of Joshua's, and they were one of the original spies in Numbers who went into the land, had a look at it, and said, we should take this land. The ten other spies from the tribes says, we can't take it, which is why God's judgment came and says, none of you are entering it. You're all going to die in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. And they wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They all died. Joshua and Caleb are still ticking over. They then enter the land, and Caleb, in his 80s, was like, I got my sword, give me my land. I want that possession. And Joshua said, go get it. Now, what was the land that um, Caleb took? It was Kiriath Arba, because that's where the Anakites were. And he took the land that was in Hebron. So uh, Caleb had waited 40 years for his inheritance, at least since the time um, uh, they had said no. He had then fought for it, which would have involved blood and sweat. And then what happens? (laughs) He gives it to Levi. He gives it, he provides for another tribe. Of any of the people of Israel who deserve their inheritance, I would submit it was Caleb. He had waited as long as anyone else. He'd been kicking his heels in the wilderness. And if I was him every day, I'd be looking around at all those people going, just die so I can go in. Do you know what I mean? Just, I'm, can you just, are you feeling, you've got a cough? Good, die so I can go and get my inheritance. He had to wait 40 years till everyone had snuffed it so he could go and get it. Then when he got it, it was like there's people there. God says, go take them out. Right, in my 80s, I go get them. And then he gave it up to Levi. God has provided for us, and we all have some. And we are the primary vehicle in which we care for others, particularly the church. We are to take care of the household of faith first. That is our responsibility. We are an extended family as the people of God, and this local church is an expression of that, as are all other local churches. And so our primary place of caring and provision is here in this room with these people. And I know on the surface we may look like we've got it together, we're in a kind of middle class town and everything's fine, but that's not the case, I can tell you. There are needs within our church of all sorts and we are the people who are to care for one another. And so we are to be thankful for what God has provided for and there are, in any situation, there'll be those who have more than others. But whatever we've got, we're thankful. But we are the ones who have eyes to see to provide for others. There shouldn't be people in our family who are lacking when others have plenty. That's just not the way it should work. We are the ones who provide. So as well as being thankful for what we've got and recognize it comes from God, this then flows out into generosity to say, actually, how can I use this to care for those in my family, care for those around us. How can I use this to bless others? And so, our challenge here, reading this and seeing this, actually, where is the need? Looking around, who do you know who's in need? Who could use a bit of hand, a bit of one of your skills, some of your finances, use of your car, whatever it is, to care for one another's? 
Because we're a people who've been provided for, and God has provided for our physical needs, and we in turn then provide to make sure no one misses out. At the same time, God provides for our spiritual needs. The Levites were spread out amongst the people of God to teach the law. So we are, God's provided for our needs. What does that look like for us? Well, God's provided us as part of the church. We have qualified people who stand on this stage. It's a bit awkward when you're talking about yourself and others who teach you God's word. That is a provision by God. In his wisdom, God provided me before the foundation of the world to be your pastor. I have no words after that. I just, I'm just saying that's what he did. But, that's the, but this is a provision for you. When we teach you the Bible, there is, there is the authority and weight of God behind it because it's God's word we're teaching and God's calling on us. And so when we teach the word, we, my hope, my heart is that you have ears to hear, that you're convicted, that you're, you're reading your Bible yourself and that you're saying, God, what are you teaching for me? We put, we've done the whole of this um, sermon series on Joshua. If you've missed it, catch up on them. Listen online. Be provided for in what God is saying to us as a church because one of the prime ways he does it is through the teaching and preaching of his word every single Sunday. If you miss one, fine. There's lots of reasons why we do. Catch up. It's easy. With the current tech, you can kind of do it anywhere, can't you? Catch up online, those kind of things. We also provide for your spiritual needs in our community groups. I've mentioned those right up front, didn't I? Get connected. If you're not connected, why not get into a group? Because every time we meet, we eat together, we talk, we chat about the most important thing in our life, which is our relationship with Jesus, and then we pray together. And that is, again, another provision for your spiritual welfare as a people. That actually you're getting there, you're part of a community, you're being known. You can share about how you're doing in life. You can receive prayer, but also you can give it. You can be helpful to others as they are helpful to you. We offer it on Sunday. Most mornings we're kind of saying, hey... Anyone want prayer for things? Sometimes God says something specific. I love that. Respond. But if you just need prayer, grab someone. Receive it. It's all here for your benefit. God has provided a vehicle to care for you, and it's called the local church. And please do not go around trying to find the perfect one because you're in it, so it ain't ever going to be perfect. You know, is it? But we're doing the best we can. And we're trying to love you and provide for you. And everyone else I know is pulling in and doing the same thing. But this is God's provision for you. Connect with it. Take hold of it. And the final one, and then we'll finish. We're a people who serve. The people who serve. The Levites were spread out amongst God's people. They were there. And the image Jesus interestingly uses in the New Testament when he describes God's people, what does he say? He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They were they were meant to be spread out. The salt means to, it doesn't go in one place. It goes on the food. The light shines everywhere. And we as God's people are that. We are meant to be scattered amongst the nations. We're meant to find ourselves in every different workplace and social setting and neighborhood and home to be that light. Our primary calling as the people of God is to tell others about Jesus. That's what we're to do. That's why God has scattered us in all the places you find. We gather here on a Sunday, then we go. It's also why churches are scattered all over. We're not all in one place. This is the one holy place in the world. We'll all meet there. No, no. We find ourselves in every people group and every tribe and every nation on the planet because we need to tell them about Jesus. 
And a yes, of course, we're really into the church. We want to serve people. We want to love them. We want to meet physical needs. We want to be a blessing to them in every way we can. But the purpose of that is so we can tell them about Jesus because that's our number one thing. Apart from that, we have nothing to offer the world. All we're doing is replicating what many others are doing. And unless we ultimately point to him and say it's all about him, and the reason here is because we love him and we love you as a result of that, and he has transformed our lives, we're missing the point. And so we are a people who serve the world, and the number one way we do that is by telling them about Jesus. Living a life that honors Jesus, that is set apart, that is holy. Providing for the household of faith that others would see and see, my goodness, they love one another. How will the world know, Jesus says, that you're my disciples? Because you love each other. Look around. Not as easy as it looks, but that's what we're going to aim for. And then as a result of that, the world question, and we love them and we serve them and we meet practical needs and we do all the things we do as a church, but ultimately we want to say it's all about him. It's all about him. That's the one we're pointing to. That's the one we're about. Just like the tribe of Levi, just like the priests. They didn't get caught up in the land. They didn't caught up, oh, this is my bit of land. They had a home, somewhere for their cattle, and they taught everyone the law. That was their role. That's us. We should be concerned about the basics. We've got the basics. We've got food on the table. We've got some clothes. We've got a roof over our head. And then we serve people and tell them about Jesus. We're not interested in accumulating wealth for ourselves for the sake of it. Bigger car, bigger house, better holiday. That's not our focus because we've got an inheritance that is coming that is way bigger and way better and will last for eternity. And our inheritance is the Lord and his people and we will be with him forever. Amen? Do you want to stand up? I'm going to pray. Can the band come up? And then we're going to worship to finish. Do you want to just close your eyes? If you know there's something particular God has just spoken to you through uh, the worship time at the beginning or, or the preaching now or whatever, just start talking to him about it. Just You know what he said to you. You start talking back. And I'm just going to pray for us generally um, as a people. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have chosen us and set us apart. Lord God, we want to thank you that you've chosen to lavish your love on us, not because we were special or better or smarter or richer than anyone else, but just because you loved us. You've chosen to set your heart upon us. And Lord, I want to thank you through your death and resurrection on the cross. We are now a holy people set apart for you for all time. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for that privilege. And Lord God, I ask you to give us grace to live that life. (laughs) To live that life you've called us to. Lord God, to turn away from the things that dishonor you. Sin, the Bible calls that. Give us grace to do that. God, give us grace to forgive those who wounded us, to seek forgiveness for the things we've done, to be that set-apart people. We thank you that you're our Father in heaven watching over us. We thank you for the immense provisions you give us. Lord God, and I ask you to make us a gracious, generous people who not only just look for our own interests, but seek actively to serve others. 
particularly of the household of faith at this local church, that we would look and we would see needs and think, how can we meet that? How can I take what God has given me like Caleb and serve others? Thank you, Lord. And Lord God, we ask you make us a people who serve the world around us by loving them, by caring for them, by being excellent at work and excellent in the home and excellent neighbors and excellent volunteers at just events and great parents at schools and and just helping out in what's going on. But ultimately, God, we want to be people who point to you. So give us boldness and courage to take the opportunities when they come. Why do you do this? Well, it's because it's all about Jesus. <laughs> Why do you surf here? Because it's all about Jesus. Why do you care for this? Because it's all about Jesus. Let me tell you about how he changed my life. Let me tell you about what he did to me. Let me tell you about how much he loves you and wants to help you and be with you, Lord God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen.